0: This morning, the scripture that Randy's going to be preaching from comes from the second chapter of Mark, verses 9 through 12. This is when Jesus and the apostles had arrived in Capernaum, and a crowd had gathered around, and there was a paralyzed man in that crowd, and to get that man to Jesus because of the crowd, they had to lift him, put him on a mat, lift him up to a roof, and then drop him down to where Jesus was, and this is where our scripture begins. Jesus speaking says, Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took the mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. They praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this.
1: Have you heard the recent remarkable story about a little girl named Samantha Savitz? She's a two-year-old girl. She lives with her family in Newport, Massachusetts. And this little girl can't hear, she's, she's deaf. But she's very outgoing and she wants to engage people. She wants to communicate with people. And her neighbors, the people in her neighborhood, they love this little girl, Samantha. And they want to communicate with her when they see her out playing in the street or in the neighborhood or they see her on a walk. They want to be able to connect with her and talk to her. But when they go up to her, they don't know how to communicate with her because she only communicates through sign language. And so they leave frustrated and she leaves sad so you know what her neighbors decided to do? They got together and they hired a sign language instructor to teach all of them sign language. And so they meet regularly to learn sign language so that they can communicate with this little girl, Samantha. Isn't that remarkable? The instructor they hired says, "I, I just can't believe this, he said, there are some parents of deaf children who don't bother learn sign language in this little girl's neighborhood, is learning sign language. That is truly remarkable. Now, I must say, in my neighborhood, sometimes if I pull out in front of someone or blow my leaves in their yards, they seem to try to communicate with a certain part of sign language. But I think this is totally different, totally different thing. Can you imagine an entire neighborhood learning sign language just so they could communicate with someone especially a child in their neighborhood what a wonderful story and I think this story raises a very important question and the question is this how far will you go out of your way to help someone how far will you go out of your way to help someone because we all have a limit, right? We all have a threshold of inconvenience or expense or discomfort. We all have a line somewhere we will draw as to how far we will go to help someone. And you might be thinking, well, it depends on the nature and the level of the need, right? I mean, if this isn't life or death, then, you know, probably I won't do a whole lot. Now, if someone is, is dying, yeah, I, I may try to do something or some of you may be thinking well it really depends on who it is it depends on the nature and the level of the relationship how close am I to this person is this family we're talking about is this a good friend we're talking about is a complete stranger because that matters doesn't it I mean I I love and appreciate the 13 year old hound dog we have but when it comes time for her to go to that great dog park in the sky I'm probably not going to do any heroic efforts to try to prolong that. You know what I'm saying? Just let all dogs go to heaven, and when it's her time, it's her time. And so you, you probably are thinking, well, it, it depends on how close I am, and it depends on the nature of the need. But I think it's a good question. How far will you go to help someone? What if the stakes are even higher? What if it's more than just helping someone in need? What if it's even more than helping someone save their life? You say, well, what could be more important than that? How could the stakes be any higher than that? What if it is their soul? What if God has placed you in a very unique situation, a very unique spot, and you can do something to actually bring someone to Jesus, the one who offers life and hope and forgiveness and salvation? You are in that spot May be better than anyone else, but it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to invest something. It may mean discomfort, it may mean getting out of your normal routine. Would you do it? I wonder if those kinds of questions went through the minds of the four men that we read about in Mark chapter 2 these four mat men, if you will. Mark records their story as a part of a larger narrative going on with Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. They are questioning his authority. They are questioning his motives. They are threatened by Jesus. And ultimately, it will cost him his life because of it. And we know now as we look back, that was all a part of God's plan. That is God's good plan to redeem the world. But as that plan unfolds, it looks like a lot of opposition building against Jesus. And our story in Mark chapter 2 begins with Jesus in a house in Capernaum. This is considered the home base for his Galilean ministry. In fact, some scholars speculate that this could have been Jesus' house. Now, we know in Matthew 8 that Jesus, in talking about discipleship, says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so a quite literal reading of that would say, well, maybe Jesus doesn't have a house, and that's, that's quite possible. Other scholars say, no, this is probably Peter's house that they're in in Mark chapter 2, because in Mark chapter 1, they're actually at Peter's house. Remember, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, and then the text says they go out and they preach and teach in the villages nearby, and then chapter 2, they come back to Capernaum, and they're in a house, and so it's very likely that this is Peter's house and don't you know that Peter's mother-in-law is happy to see him Jesus is gaining notoriety people are seeing these miracles he's doing they are hearing this prophetic speaking that he is doing he he stands out from their normal rabbis their normal teachers and so they flock to Jesus and on this particular day there is a huge crowd There's so many people, they are jam-packed inside the house. They are overflowing outside the house as Jesus is teaching. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And so Jesus is preaching. There's a huge crowd there, but not everyone has equal access and equal opportunity to see Jesus. There's a paralyzed man there. He couldn't walk. And by the time that his four buddies, we presume that they're buddies, by the time they get him to the house, it's standing room only outside. And as I said, this guy can't stand. And he needs to see Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. He desperately wants to have an audience with the Son of God. And so what do these four guys do? Verse 3. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Picture this scene for a moment, the house squished full of people, people standing outside in the doorway, outside maybe near the windows if there's windows, they're trying to hear Jesus, there's people everywhere. And maybe from the outside, you can't even see what's happening on the inside. I remember some of those Mexico mission trips back in the day, that little bitty church building and we would take down 200 people. A building would hold about 40. And we would just be crammed outside. And every once in a while, you might be able to hear a word or two. That's what I envision as I see this story unfold. The people on the outside, they probably can't necessarily hear what Jesus is saying. And they probably can't see him. But evidently, this one man, this paralyzed man, he is determined. I mean, just imagine the effort it took to get him there. He would not be denied. He is not turning around now and while his faith is commendable to me it's the faith and the ingenuity of these four guys that really stands out because think about it they had nothing to gain they had absolutely nothing to gain and everything to lose by doing this they literally climbed on top of the roof and began digging through what was probably a hardened clay and straw roof to get this man to jesus would you have done that? Would you have done the same thing? You know, I could just imagine if that were me. Well, buddy, you know, we got you here. And man, look at that crowd. That's so unfortunate. Uh, well, you know, maybe we could try another time. So we'll probably be on our way. Do you want us to leave you here or should we take you back home? What do you want? I mean, would you have done the same thing? I, I got to tell you, I have knocked on a lot of doors in my day on mission campaigns on local outreach efforts and there are some times I'll be honest confession here there are some times given the circumstances when I just kind of barely knock and then oh after about two or three seconds I don't think anyone's home we should just keep going right maybe you've been there because you get this vibe or you you can tell from the circumstances oh this is probably not going to go well this is going to be uncomfortable awkward maybe dangerous because you never know what's on the other side of that door these guys didn't know what was on the other side of that rooftop what would Jesus say when he saw them peeking through this hole that they had excavated through the roof what would the people say as they had dirt and straw falling on them from this hole being dug in the roof and what about the mess it was making What would Jesus do as he's preaching and teaching, and all of a sudden now there's this huge disruption? You're interrupting the Son of God when he's preaching. It's like when someone pulls a fire alarm when a guy's preaching here, maybe. (laughs) Too soon, right? Too soon. But they didn't know what was waiting on them, they didn't know how Jesus would respond. They didn't know what it might cost them. And I want you to see what Jesus does. Chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Don't miss that little pronoun there. There, their faith. When he saw their faith. In most healing stories, Jesus commends the faith of the one who needs the healing. But here, he commends their faith. And notice what Jesus does immediately. It's a little bit unexpected, isn't it? He doesn't heal the man. That's not the first thing he does. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. He gives this gift that no one else can give. I mean, think about that. Only Jesus, only Jesus can say that. And he gives this wonderful gift, your sins are forgiven. And it, if this guy is like me, he's probably thinking, well, Jesus, that's nice and all. That's good. I'm not exactly sure what all that means, but I know that's a good thing, but that's not really why I came. I came for something more. You're saying your sins are forgiven. What I want you to say is your mat is no longer needed. Right? You think he was a little bit disappointed? I mean, it's like when you, you take one of your friends to your favorite Mexican restaurant and they order chicken strips I mean you, you've seen that right you're like no that's, that's not why we came here and I wonder if this guy is feeling that a little bit Jesus thanks a lot that's great but that's not that's not why I'm, why I'm here but for some of the religious leaders who are watching this with a critical eye when Jesus says your sins are forgiven that is huge that is a very big deal they hear Jesus say this, your sins are forgiven, and they are outraged. Who do you think you are? Only God can forgive sins, and only a priest can declare, deco- or can declare forgiveness of sins. And Jesus, you're not God, and you're not a priest. And they're thinking, you are blaspheming God. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. Isn't that incredible? It's a little scary too, isn't it? I mean Jesus knows what they are thinking and he calls them out on it basically what he says is I I know anyone can say the words your sins are forgiven I mean anyone can say that how do you prove that there's no necessarily there's not a tangible manifestation of forgiven sins right so anyone can say those words but how do you verify that So Jesus says, let me give you something you can see. Let me give credibility to my previous statement. Back in the text, verse 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Last Sunday, if you were here, you know we talked about the story of Jesus healing the man named Bartimaeus, the blind man. And we said that sometimes Jesus doesn't give us what we want, but he always gives us what we need. Well, in this case, for this man, this paralyzed man, he gives him what he needs above everything else, the forgiveness of his sins. But he also gives him what he wants. He gives him spiritual healing and he gives him physical healing. He frees him and he saves him. And in that that act of physical healing, he shows his compassion. But it's also confirmation that he is the Son of God, that he can, in fact, forgive sins. Jesus is the one. And he gives this man hope, and he gives him freedom, and he gives him forgiveness. He gives him everything he needs and everything he wants. Jesus is the answer. And so I ask you, what are you doing, what am I doing to get people to Jesus? If he is the answer, if he is the one, if he can offer something that no one else can offer, if Jesus is the source of life and hope and salvation and forgiveness, what are we doing to get people to Jesus? Are you ready to pick up the mat of someone around you? Someone hurting? You see, we encounter people every day who are stuck on their proverbial mats, the things that are keeping them from Jesus. And sometimes they are physical, but often they're not. They're emotional, their their sin maybe past history with the church maybe a view of god are you willing to pick up someone's mat are you ready to climb on top of a house are you ready to start digging through the roof you say well wait a second wait a second that's not very practical that's not feasible that's not even affordable you know how much that would cost to repair that hole it's risky and it's dangerous And it's a little awkward and a little strange and costly and radical. Are you willing to sacrifice something to step out of the crowd and be different if it means getting someone to Jesus? The one who possesses everything they need. Everything we need. Yes, there will be obstacles. There will be opposition. There will be mats and crowds and walls and roofs. There will be barriers and there will be busyness, but that shouldn't stop us. Because if we truly believe Jesus is the one, we will do anything to get people to him. You see, Jesus applauds mat-carrying, wall-climbing, roof-digging faith. That's Jesus. Jesus applauds that kind of faith. Radical faith. Action-based faith. Faith that looks out for others. Jesus commends their faith. Do you remember? These guys were willing to go to great lengths. Why? Is it because they loved this guy so much? That's possible. We don't even know who these guys are in relationship to the paralyzed man. But it's possible. But I suspect it's something different. I think it's because they knew that if there was any hope for this man, that it was with Jesus. They'd heard about Jesus, maybe. I mean, after all, the crowds were gathering around him. He must have something to offer. If they didn't think Jesus could do something for this man, why would they go to so much trouble? When you invest who you are and what you have to get others to Jesus you are saying Jesus is your answer just like he's my answer Jesus is the one who can give you what you need you see that is faith at its finest were these guys actions socially acceptable not really is what they did something that would be described as reasonable and rational nah not really but sometimes the need is so great and the opportunity is so timely that we have to think outside the box to get people to Jesus. We have a partnership with a wonderful ministry in Zambia. It's called the Namweonga Mission. It involves many different things educating people, training ministers, orphanage where Janet Miller serves and works. It's a wonderful ministry that we've had a relationship with for many years, and God is doing great things through that ministry. In this photo, you'll see some of the church leaders getting together. They get together every month to encourage each other, to pray for each other, but also to brainstorm. You know what they're brainstorming? They're they're brainstorming about ways to share the gospel in their area, ways to bring people to Christ. You'll notice the bicycles in the picture. So, they came up with this idea. They call it the Bicycle Evangelists. It's a group of guys who actually ride their bikes to areas where there is no church, where there aren't believers. And they stay there, they camp there, they live there among the people, sharing Christ with them until a church is established. Isn't that remarkable? That's amazing. Is it different? Yes. Would it necessarily fit our context? Probably not. Is it non-traditional and innovative? Yeah. Does it cost these guys something? Absolutely. Are there risks involved? Yes. But getting people to Jesus and getting Jesus to people is so important It's so important to them that they're willing to do something different, that they're willing to sacrifice, they're willing to invest. I'm so thankful that Edmund has a partnership with men and women like this. People on the front lines throughout this world advancing the cause of Christ. Stories like this story are being duplicated all over the world. And God continues to use this congregation and the resources that he has blessed us with to advance the cause of Christ. We have a short video I want you to watch introducing some new partners on the mission field and to remind us one way, one way that we can help take people to Jesus and Jesus to people. Watch this video.
2: The splendor of the king, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. Go and make disciples of all nations. To the Edmund Church of Christ, this statement is more than a slogan. It's more than simply a theme or a catchphrase. Making disciples in this world is our God-given mission. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we are called by God to make genuine connections with other people and to share the love and message of Jesus with them. We are called to make disciples. God empowers us to do this in many ways through many people. In addition to our daily efforts as ambassadors of Christ and our local outreach efforts in our community, we support several missionaries and mission projects and we send out multiple mission trips involving hundreds of people throughout the year. In 2019, God is extending our reach into the world through expanded mission efforts. We are pleased to announce some new and exciting opportunities in various parts of the world. The heart of the Edmund Church is closely connected to each of these special people and places. First, Ismael Resendez is joining Baldo Camacho in the rural mountain villages of Mexico as our full-time missionary. For over 30 years, we have invested in the birth and growth of the church in Achilles and the surrounding state of Tamaulipas. Many from this congregation, including three decades of college students, have traveled to those little villages to love and serve the people there. Now, through the work of Ismail and Baldo, that work continues. In his new role, Ismail will plant churches, train and mentor leaders, host special events at the campground, and preach and teach throughout the region. Our prayer is that God will continue to change lives and grow the church in this area of Mexico. A second expanding work involves our long-standing relationship with Zambia. After decades of serving the Namuyanga mission in Zambia, our missionary, Dr. Ruben Kapali, retired last year. But God continues to make inroads into people's lives and develop Christian leaders in Zambia, and we are still blessed to be a part of it. We are now supporting three Christian leaders and missionaries associated with the Namwiyanga mission, including Wilson Ciazillo, Thomas Simubali, and Rodwell Cianzolo. God has gifted each of these men and is using them in unique ways to make disciples in Zambia. We join our brothers and sisters there to continually welcome many new believers into God's family. A third way God is expanding our discipleship efforts in the world is through our presence in Guatemala. For five years, our college group at Edmund has traveled to Guatemala for a summer mission trip. Now, we will be tied even more closely to the Lord's work there, as we take on the support of missionary Marco Tullio. He is active in personal evangelism, training leaders, helping plant churches, and working to share the gospel in and around the Union Zacapa. The Lord continues to open doors in Guatemala, and we are blessed to be a part of what God is doing there. Finally. John and Jill Shattuck and their family endeared themselves to us last year during their transition from mission work in Utah. In January, they packed up and moved to Ecuador to work with the Kumani Christian Center in the rainforest on the Pacific coast. This somewhat secluded area has no roads to speak of, only the Kayapas River that runs as a main artery through the region. The Shaddigs will join efforts with local missionaries to ensure the love and message of Jesus is spread up and down that river. They will assist in hosting medical, construction, service, and discipleship teams so that doors will be opened to share the gospel. As God continues to work through the Shaddigs and other missionaries, the river will be used not only as a means of transportation, but more importantly, a place of transformation as people continue to go into the river to put on Christ in baptism. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Some may call it the Great Commission because it seems so big, so overwhelming. Others because it requires great involvement and great resources from the church. Still others because there are great expectations associated with it. To us, the commission is great because the one behind it is great. And we want others all over the world to know of His greatness and His grace. Join us on Commission Sunday by giving sacrificially.
1: As I said, Commission Sunday is next Sunday. And this is just one way, one of many ways, that we can be involved in God's work in this world. That we can bring people to Jesus as those four men did. That we can bring Jesus To people, So I hope that you will come next week ready to participate in that. You need to know that no effort is wasted that is used on bringing someone to Jesus. Sometimes we think, well, what's it going to cost me? How much am I going to have to sacrifice? How inconvenient is this going to be? All of those things that we do, all of those resources we invest, God honors those and he uses those to make a difference in people's lives. And so no effort is wasted that is used for that purpose, for his glory. And so if it means picking up someone's mat, then reach down and grab hold. If it means climbing a wall, then start climbing. If it means tunneling through a roof, then start digging. If it means sharing or serving or sacrificing, if it means giving or going or praying, then let's get to it back to our story about two-year-old Samantha Savitz did you notice that her neighbors didn't say boy we really would like to, to talk to her to communicate with her but I guess if she ever learns how to speak audibly then we'll be here to talk to her they didn't say that they met her in her place of need they inconvenienced themselves they learned her language so they could minister to her The guys in our story in Mark chapter 2, they didn't say to the guy, Well, Jesus is right in there. Just get up and go in there, and and he'll be right there. Just go ahead. They didn't say that. They didn't leave their business cards with him and say, Well, we got you this far. The rest is kind of up to you. But if you need us, don't hesitate. When you get everything together in your life, don't hesitate to give us a call, and we'll be here for you. No. No. They met this man in his place of need. Even when it cost them something, even when it inconvenienced them, they went to him and met him in his place of need. What about Jesus? Isn't that what Jesus always did? Jesus always met people in their place of need, in their place of brokenness. Now, he called them to a new life, to a better life. But he always met them there, even when it meant he would be criticized, misunderstood, even ultimately when it cost him his life. That's why Jesus came here to meet us in our time of need. What an example for the church. We don't wait around for people to get it together before we take them to Jesus, we meet them in their place of need and do whatever we can to get them to Jesus and to get Jesus to them. Romans chapter 5 reminds us of who Jesus is and how he did this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were in our need, when we were laying on the mat, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus met us in our deepest, darkest need. And that's when he did everything he could to save us. This morning, Jesus wants to meet you in your need. He's the only one that can offer you what you need most forgiveness, hope, purpose, salvation. Maybe today you're ready to claim him as Lord of your life, to confess your belief that he is, in fact, the Son of God. You're ready to be baptized into Christ. We will celebrate with you and the angels in heaven. Maybe today you need encouragement. Maybe you want to relate to the four guys who carried the paralyzed man, but every time you look back at that story, you say, no, I'm the guy on the mat. (laughs) That's who I identify with. I am broken. I am in need. I need Jesus. If that's the case, I am so glad you're here. Let us help carry you to Jesus through prayer, through encouragement, through support. We're going to stand and sing a song. We'll have a couple of shepherds and their wives in a room called the parlor right behind me. You can exit out any of these doors and find your way there right behind me and they will pray for you or you can come to the front and we would be glad to lift you up in prayer to encourage you or maybe today, today is the day to become a Christian. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.
0: God is calling.